if you need a loan, he'll give you a loan. That is why I have chosen to accept those who are not present here or as important. At the end of the day, let us live in harmony, at peace. The most fundamental and crucial institutions for the Muslim community living outside the Muslim countries are their Islamic centers, their Islamic organizations, the mosques, the Islamic schools. And amongst the greatest task of those institutions, and amongst the greatest of the responsibilities of those institutions, is to represent the religion of Islam and the Islamic community in the most ideal manner in the West. And of course, I am proud to say that today we do have many Muslim schools, Muslim organizations, Muslim institutions, Muslim conferences, that do represent Islam and the Muslim community in an acceptable manner. However, in an evening like this, let us ask ourselves several key and important questions. And in responding to those questions, let us have well thought and contemplated responses, well-balanced and honest answers. Are the majority of those Islamic schools, of those mosques, of those Islamic institutions successful? Are the majority of those Islamic institutions the mosques, the Islamic schools, the Islamic seminars, representing the religion of Islam and the Islamic community in the most ideal manner? Do those organizations have a real impact on the youth? Do they have a real impact on the policy making? Do they have a real impact on the media? Do they have a real impact on the political structure of their country or their region? And of course, last but not least, the key question tonight is how do we forecast the future of those Islamic centers, those Islamic institutions? How do we see the future of Islam in the Western countries? For they are the ones who will build, structure, and develop the future 
of Islam outside the Muslim countries. And of course, today our communities, our organizations, our mosques, our Islamic centers face major challenges. They face major problems. Amongst them, amongst the most important of them is that they're occupied by senior citizens. Our Islamic centers are mostly occupied by members 65 years and older. Sometimes I go to some organizations, mosques, seminars, masjids, and I have to double door the entrance, double check the entrance. They say, Sayyidna, what are you looking for? I tell them I'm looking for a sign that says this place is only open and active for seniors 65 years and older who speak every language besides English. Of course, such a sign doesn't exist. But sometimes it's the reality of some of our organizations. And amongst the other challenges that we face, is that our centers live in their own bubbles, in an isolation, seclusion. They're not accessible. Number one, they're not open and welcoming and accessible to other members of our own community. Meaning, there are people from your own community, from your own country, who speak your own language. Sometimes from your own family that are residing at home this evening. Or they've gone out shopping. Or they're elsewhere besides the majalis of Imam Abu Abdullah al Hussein. They're not within the organization, they're outside the organization. And we always tend to blame them and not the organization itself. It's time that we ask, why is it that they're not present? We must be open and welcoming to others who have yet not reached the same level of, let's say, religiosity or spirituality or religious understanding that we experience today. And that's the beauty of the religion of Islam. The religion of Islam, when it was established in the Arabian Peninsula, when Allah gave birth to the religion of Islam in the holy city of Mecca, the laws of Islam were descended and revealed and established gradually, not all at once. Look at the concept of the abrogated verses within the Holy Quran. Why do we have an nasikh and mansukh? There is a verse, it's revealed unto Rasulullah, times pass. Another verse is revealed that abrogates that verse. It updates that verse. It completes that verse. Why? Is it that Allah in the beginning, He didn't know, for example, He should ban 
alcohol from the first day. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them gradual steps, comprehensive steps. The issue of slavery, that Allah not to know that in the end of the day, the religion of Islam stands firmly against slavery. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them gradual steps to abolish slavery. Therefore, we must take the same measurements in our centers. If we are willing to open our doors to those who may not be at the same level of religiosity or spirituality as we are, we must help them, we must assist them, we must welcome them. Inshallah, we're going to speak about this this evening. Second, we are isolated from the rest of the world, from outside those four walls, be it the political system, be it other churches and synagogues and other members of other faiths, we do not have an apparent and bold and strong relationship and ties with other members of communities. And this is in contrast to the teachings of the religion of Islam and the methodology of Ahl al-Bayt. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala firmly tells, firmly, firmly tells Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Ya Rasulullah, it is your job to initiate the conversation. It is your job to speak to the kuffar, mushrikeen, idol worshippers. Don't say, well, they're idol worshippers. What do I have to do with them? I am the last messenger of God. I've come with tawheed. Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun. You tell them. You begin the conversation. You be begin the dialogue. Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun. La a'budu ma ta'budu. I don't worship that which you worship. I don't worship idols. Okay. وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَبِدُونَ مَا أَعْبُدُ And we also understand that you're not going to worship Allah. We're not forcing you. We don't have a problem with that. And the end of the day, let us live in harmony, at peace. لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَلِيَدِينَ Allah says to him, Ya Rasulullah, initiate a dialogue, an understanding, harmony between you and the people of the book. The Christians, the Jews, the Magans, قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ You tell them, قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ Let us come together, all the people of the book, under one common understanding. What we have in common, let us unite under our commonality. إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ And that is the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Similarly, the Ahl al-Bayt never excluded anyone. The Ahl al-Bayt never excommunicated anyone. Even the Zanadiqah, the atheist. Sometimes the atheists go read Kitab al-Ihtijaj. Go read Kitab al-Kafi. The atheist would come and debate Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq in Masjid al-Haram. The Imam said, this guy is an atheist, didn't say this guy is an atheist, why should I debate him? Some people would claim they're gods. A man came to Imam al-Sadiq, he says, Inna Allah yakhluq, wa ana akhluq. Inna Allah yumit, wa ana umit. Today, if somebody says this in an Islamic country, what do they do to him? 
They hang him from six places. He says, God creates and I create. And the man tells him, I'm Sadiq. God gives death, takes life away, and I take life away. What's the difference between me and God? The Imam looked at him and he said, okay, what did you create? He said, I created worms under this rock. It's easy, I put a rock, underneath it there was some dust or mud or whatever it may be. I let it rest for some time and I now remove the rock. Look at the worms I created. So the mom told him, very good. Very good. But you created them, can you tell me their number? How many? He says, I don't know. How many of them are male? How many of them are female? He says, I don't know. He says, you created them. But you don't know what you created? The imam, he spoke to them the way they understood him, the way they related to him. They were able to understand, ask, and voice their opinion to the imams of the Ahlul Bayt. The imams of the Ahlul Bayt never stopped anyone from expressing their mind. Therefore, we must be open to other members of the community. We must be open to other faiths, other religions. And number three, in our isolation, we have not been able to have the influence that we ought to have on learning institutions, on universities, on schools, on authors, writers, thinkers. Today, the madhab of Ahl al-Bayt, the teachings of Ahl al-Bayt, the understanding of the Qur'an through the perspective of Ahl al-Bayt is missing. At the intellectual circles, universities, and we are at fault. We are to be blamed. If we did not live in this isolation, if we communicated the knowledge of Ahl al-Bayt, if we had the ability to teach and to foster the minds of those at universities, believe me, they would love to adopt the teachings of Ahl al-Bayt, the thought of Ahl al-Bayt, the Nahj al-Balagha of Amir al-Mu'mineen wa Mawla al-Muwahideen Ali ibn Abi Talib. This shortcomings from us. Rasulullah Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam says, Inni tarikun fikum al-thaqalain. I've left with you amongst, I've left amongst you those two weighty things. Kitab Allah wa atrati. I've left with you the Qur'an. Have we been able to take the Qur'an through the teachings of the Ahl al-Bayt to the outside world? Have we been able to demonstrate the teachings of the Ahl al-Bayt. One book, Nahj al-Balagha. And fully expose it to the outside world. This is our responsibility. And that is why we face many blows within our communities. That's why we live in stagnation. We are in need of a strong vision that's going to awaken us. That's going to take us from mediocreness, ineffectiveness, hibernation, and to give us life.
At many times, I go to some communities and I visit them 10 years later, a decade later, nothing has changed. The people there have definitely changed cars three times, homes once. His child was in high school, now it's, their, their children are married and they have children. But the masjid hasn't changed. The carpet even hasn't changed. Why? Because there's no vision. There's no life. Amir al-Mu'mineen, Al-Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib says, Man kana yawmuhu kaghadihi fahuwa maghboon. If your today is like your tomorrow, then you're a loser. Make sure your tomorrow is better than your today. Man kana yawmuhu kaghadihi fahuwa maghboon. وَمَنْ كَانَ يَوْمُهُ أَفْضَلُ مِنْ غَدِهِ فَهْوَ And if your tomorrow, if your today is better than your tomorrow, then you're cursed. You've brought a curse onto yourself. Because your tomorrow should always be better than today. If your tomorrow is not better than your today, then you're cursed. You've cursed yourself. You brought a curse upon yourself. Amir al-Mu'mineen talks in the days. We're in the centuries. Millenniums. No change. Brothers, sisters, we are in need of the spirit to awaken us. And this is the job of the majalis of Imam Hussein. To awaken us. To give us life. To show us the way. Wallah, if you listen to his words, to his mission statement a thousand times over and over and over again, it never gets old. It's as if you're hearing it for the first time. إني لم أخرج أشرا ولا بطرا ولا مفسدا I've not began this journey for the sake of money for the sake of wealth for the sake of popularity بل خرجت لإصلاح أمة جدي رسول الله But I have embarked on this journey to perfect the ummah to build the ummah to give life to this ummah and that is why I have chosen to examine this topic in the following manner. Examining chapter 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 125. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of His own sanctuary, His own bait. And I referred, this, I referred to this yesterday. Allah says, إِنَّ أَوَّلَ بَيْتٍ وُضِعَ لِلنَّاسِ لَلَّذِي بِبَكَّةٍ Allah is proud of the Kaaba. Allah is proud of Mash'ar al-Haram. Allah is proud of Bayt al-Haram. So He says in the Qur'an, وَإِذْ جَعَلْنَا الْبَيْتِ Allah says, and we have made this bait. وَإِذْ جَعَلْنَا الْبَيْتَ مَثَابَةً لِلنَّاسِ وَأَمْنَةً we ought to, every time, we want to make an organization, an institution, a bait, a sanctuary for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to have this verse in mind. 
How does Allah describe the sanctuary? How does Allah describe the Masjid Al-Haram? How does Allah describe the very first sacred structure put out there for human beings to seek nearness to Him? A place of gaining, a place of safety, serenity, comfort, tranquility. وَاتَّخِذُوا مِنْ مَقَامِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ مُصَلَّى And keep Ibrahim as your guide. Keep Ibrahim, the father of monotheism and tawheed, as your role model. This is the second message in the ayah. Then he says, وَعَهِدْنَا إِلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْمَعِيلَ And we told Ibrahim and Ismail when they rebuilt the home, أَن Purify the sanctuary. Antahara baytiya littaifin walakifin walrukka sujud. Purify it for those who do tawaf. Purify it for those who do ruku'. Purify it for those who do sujud. We will examine this topic in light of this verse in the following three steps. Number one, the need. For awareness, knowledge, intellectual stimulation within our organizations. Number two, the importance and emphasis on organization versus personal work. And number three, the influence, the, the focus of the ayah on purity, tahara, on comfort. Because brothers and sisters, in all honesty, you cannot have an Islamic institution. You cannot have an Islamic organization. You cannot have a bait for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without purity, without tahara. Without ikhlas. You cannot. أَفَمَنْ أَسَّسَ بُنْيَانَهُ عَلَىٰ تَقْوًا مِنَ اللَّهِ The structure, the foundation has to be based on taqwa. Has to be based on piety. Has to be based on righteousness, purity. Let us examine this topic after your loud salawat ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. The very first step that we ought to take, brothers and sisters, in creating an awareness within our Islamic centers, Islamic schools, Islamic organizations, Islamic universities, in creating this awareness is to destroy the misinformation. And Allahu Akbar, this could be a very, very, very long and tiring and difficult task to erase that which is wrong than to inject that which is right and sometimes this is way more difficult than getting someone who is fresh 
He's just learning and teaching him from zero. And in our communities, brothers and sisters, there is a great deal of misunderstandings, misinformations, and misconceptions. I have to list them very quickly because we had a delay today in the time. Number one, many people believe that if they become religious, if they have a religious appearance, then they become the police of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah gives them a badge and a canine unit. And He says, you're the police now. Go and catch the bad guys. You know, sometimes I see some people when they weren't religious, let's say she wasn't wearing hijab, didn't pray, didn't fast. They don't bother anyone. They don't get in people's business. As soon as they become religious, Whereas the hijab goes to a couple of ziyara, umrah, this, that. Now she becomes the hawk on the community, the police. Now no one can speak, no one can move, no one can talk, no one can go, no one, nothing, nobody can do anything without the supervision of this particular honorable hajjah or hajj khanum in the community. And similarly, for some of the brothers, where they believe that they are the police of God and their job is to expose the bad guys, not just to stop them, but they have to expose them. Listen to this. Amir al-Mu'mineen says, if you want to expose people, look at their faults, Count their flaws, it's okay. But start with yourself. Whenever you're done with yourself, go to other people. I see many people today, many people today, la ilaha illallah. Even on social media, some of them even have satellite channels. Some of them have, you know, the internet at their ex- uh, availability. What's their job? Exposing this person, exposing this scholar, speaking ill of this person, destroying this. So my question is, it's fine, you want to expose those people? Why don't you say, listen, my aim is to expose such and such individual. But before I do that, let me tell you of my own wrongs. Let me tell you of my own faults. When I'm done, I'm going to start with this person. Brothers, sisters, whoever is listening to me, I am saying this with love, a burning heart. Tomorrow Allah will ask you, He will tell you this madhab, the name of Imam Ali, the name of Imam Hussein was passed on to you because of many martyrs, many ulama who were killed, imprisoned. Many shuhada who were killed. The blood of Imam Hussein, 
The martyrdom of Fatima al-Zahra, the imprisonment of Imam Musa ibn Ja'far, you have to answer. Allah will say, why did you weaken the madhab? Why did you weaken the strength of the followers of Ahlul Bayt? Do you have an answer? Why did you create division amongst them? Whether it's in our own community, a small community of five, six hundred people, or whether it's on a larger scale of social media, or a larger scale of a satellite channel where we sit to defame and destroy others. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't even appoint Rasulullah, didn't appoint Musa, didn't appoint Isa, didn't appoint Nuh, didn't appoint Ibrahim as police. Allah says to him, Ya Rasulullah, لا إكره في الدين. Don't push them, don't force them. And another ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Taha, ma anzalla alayka al-Qur'ana li tashqa. We didn't reveal this Qur'an unto you so that you fatigue yourself and making sure that everyone walks on the... Anta bimumallikh. You're a messenger. Deliver the message. Give the guidance. The rest, you don't police them. And let us be careful. The youth sitting in the majlis of Imam Hussein, wherever you may be listening to me, think about this. Don't let the outside influence of some ignorant people deter you from the path of Ahlul Bayt, where we create fitna within our own homes. Number two. And creating and destroying misinformation and injecting the right information. Is that many of us living in the West, many of us living in Canada and Europe and the United Kingdom and Australia and the United States of America, we know of converts, people who have converted to the religion of Islam. Whether they're in our masjid, whether we know them on social media, whether they go to school with us, whether they live with us at home, we know converts. Amongst the misconceptions that we have is that we're better than the converts. We know more than them. We're closer to Allah than them. Let me tell you something. First of all, what we know, where did we learn? We learned it at home. We heard it in different places. But those converts spend a lifetime finding the religion of Islam. Reading, researching, examining, questioning. They didn't just find the religion of Islam overnight. They went, they shopped around for many different faiths until they found the religion of Islam, until they removed their misconceptions about Islam, until they got their questions answered about Islam. So they have found Islam through knowledge, through awareness, through strength. That's one. Second, is that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam says, Al-Islam yajubbu ma qablah. Islam, when it comes into the life of a person who was not born Muslim, 
and they accept Islam and they revert to the religion of Islam, it erases their sins. Today, I at the age 30 or 35 or 40, I have accumulated sins. At the age 50, I have accumulated sins. At the age 60, I have accumulated sins. But this person at the age 40 or 50 or 30 or 20 who has entered the religion of Islam, Allah has forgiven their sins. They have less weight on their back in the Day of Judgment. That's two. Three. You were born in a family since you were three or four years old, you saw your father praying, your mother praying, reading the Quran. You learned the salah. You learned the ibadat. Nobody had to come and teach you by the time you reached the age of wujub, where you had to follow the Islamic acts of worship. You knew how to pray, most of us. We knew the rules of fasting. But those people, they have to start from zero. At an old age. Maybe in their 20s, maybe in their 30s, maybe in their 40s, maybe in their 50s, some of them in their 60s and 70s. Are they not more beloved to Allah than a person who had no struggle in jihad performing his salah? Who had no struggle and a special jihad within their own families. Today, which parent in Canada, in Australia, in the United States wants their son or their daughter to come home to them and to tell them, I've converted to Islam? Who? 52% of the American public oppose the building of a mosque near Ground Zero. Building of a mosque near Ground Zero. You think they would approve of their child entering the religion of Islam? Therefore, we are surrounded by the converts. Let us not break their hearts. Let us not drive them away. Let us not always pretend we're above them and we know better than them. This is the second misconception. Erasing the wrong. Injecting in our minds that which is Islamic. That which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about. Allah says, do not say we are mu'min. Say we are Muslim. Yes, you've said the shahadatain, you're Muslim. But until we bring this compatibility between Islam and our actions is when we become mu'min. Number three and the third misconception, I have to move on very quickly, is that we always look for something associated with Muslims. Because we believe that Muslims are generally better than non-Muslims. I want you to pay attention to this point. It's a critical point. Today, many of us living in this country, tomorrow you may get up and say, I want to go and visit Imam Hussein on the day of Arba'in. So you go, you visit Imam Hussein, you return. At the airport here, they tell you, where were you? You say, I went to a pilgrimage. 
Where? To Iraq. Why? To visit Imam Hussein. They tell you, welcome home. But in some Muslim countries, you go back to the country. Where were you? I was in Vegas. Welcome. Where were you? I went to America. Welcome. Where were you? I went to Hawaii. Welcome. Where were you? I went to visit Imam Hussein, the grandson of Rasulullah to Iraq. We'll hold your passport for one year. Tonight you are gathered here in safety, in tranquility, in peace. You're broadcasting your message to the world. Huh? And in harmony. While some Muslims, they're afraid to go to their Husseiniyah. While some Muslims are afraid they're going to be attacked by a machine gun, by a car bomb, by an explosive belt. Yesterday, you saw in the Saudi kingdom, people lost their lives. When we make decisions living in the West, I want to make it brief. Let's look for that which is Islamic. I'm not saying everything in Canada and America and the United Kingdom is good. Everything is Islamic. Everything there is bad. This is not what I'm saying. And I don't want anybody to twist my words. I say when you choose your friends, choose a friend that's Islamic. Maybe he's not Muslim. Maybe he's not Muslim, but he's Islamic. Meaning what? He doesn't lie. Meaning he's not going to cheat you. Meaning if you're in need alone, he'll give you a loan. Meaning if you come and tell him, built my home, he'll be honest. Meaning if you tell him, listen boss, I want to go to Hajj. He'll say, okay, we'll give you two weeks off, go to Hajj. But if you have a Muslim boss that tells the woman, if you wear hijab, I'll fire you. If you go to Hajj, I'll fire you. If you go to Salat al-Jum'ah, I'll fire you. If you have a friend whose name is Muhammad or Ali or Azghar or Taqi, and you tell him to build, build your home and he cheats you. Or you have a friend, your children have friends. Look for the friends for your children who are Islamic, who have morals, who do not lie, who do not cheat, who won't teach your children how to lie to your parents. Some children, they're experts in this. They teach their friends how to lie to their parents. You don't want to know why? Because their parents have been the best teachers for them. He sees his, his father. He goes to the business. From the morning until night, his father is lying to everyone. His mother. So the child, he has this it's part of his character now. If your children hang out with that child, automatically it's going to rub off. Tomorrow you ask your child, why are you late? He can easily tell you, for example, I was out with a friend, or something delayed me, or I got a speeding ticket, or I had a flat tire, or my friend had called me, but instead he'll make up a story. There is no reason for the story. You require honesty from him. So look for that friend who's not going to give such habits to your children. That child is Islamic, is an Islamic friend. Maybe he doesn't carry in a Muslim name. 
So number one in creating awareness within our organization, we erase that is wrong, that which is wrong, and we inject that which is right. Number two, we must work on education. Ilm. Since I don't have time, I'm going to get right into it. Today, while we have lectures discussing the affairs of Imam Hussein all around the world, whether it's in Canada, whether it's in the United States, whether it's in Pakistan, whether it's in Iran, whether it's in Iraq, whether it's in Bahrain, whether it's in Kuwait, there is a phenomenon, mashallah, the outside, the stand outside crowd. During Salah, where are they? Where are they? Outside. During the Quran, where are they? Outside. During the lecture, where are they? Outside. During the Latum, where are they? Inside. During the Matam, where are they? Inside. Imam Hussein went on this journey of sacrifice and he gave his blood and his children not so that I come for 15 minutes, Ya Hussein, Ya Hussein, and I leave. Of course, nobody is against the Sha'ar of Imam Hussein. Nobody is against the Ma'tam of Imam Hussein. But Imam Hussein wants me to develop my mind. The same person tomorrow will go to the university. They'll take him. They say, are you a Muslim? Yes, I'm a Muslim. Let me ask you something. Tell me why in chapter 9 of your Quran, God says, kill the non-believers. There, can you tell him, I ahsian wa msaba? Huh? Tell me, why did your prophet marry nine wives? Tell me, why is it that in your religion a man can have four wives, a woman cannot? Tell me, why is it that a woman has half the inheritance of a man in your faith? Tell me, why is it that the diya of a woman is half that which is a for man, for a man? Will we learn that during Mata? Imam Hussein wants our minds enrich our understanding of the madhab of Ahlul Bayt. Not we stand outside coffee and cigarettes. And Why don't we look for the illnesses within our community? Why? Why are we willing to see all those illnesses but we walk right through them as if they don't exist? Our job, our role, our responsibility, brothers and sisters, is clear if you live here. You have to become the ambassadors of Imam Hussein. And the ambassador of Imam Hussein has to have knowledge. And especially the basics, the things I just mentioned, those misconceptions. So tomorrow if you say Terry Jones about to burn the Qur'an and there is a discussion in your class at the university, you know how to defend the Qur'an. So tomorrow if you see those hate mongers speaking against Rasulullah, you know how to defend Rasulullah. 
So if you have a discussion with a brethren outside the madhab of Ahlul Bayt who will ask you about Imam Ali and the Khilafah of Imam Ali from the Quran, prove to me that Imam Ali is the Khalifa. You know how to do it. You don't talk with emotions. Emotions don't get us anywhere. You have the references. You have the ability. A person who has knowledge does not need emotions. But a person who doesn't have common sense uses his muscles. A person with common sense, all he needs to do is write. Sit down at home and type for half an hour. Take a pen and write. Grab a microphone and speak. You speak to the minds of the people. That's what Rasulullah did. Rasulullah went to the minds of the Arabs. He spoke to their minds. The Prophet Ibrahim spoke to the minds of those people when he destroyed their idols. They said, who broke the idols? He said, go ask the idol. Number two, within this ayah we find an emphasis on organization versus personal work. Today, brothers and sisters, the strength, the strength of the world is not in individuals, but in organizations. Look at APAC. Look at the American Jewish Committee, AJC. For a hundred years, they've made an organization, and now, can you deny their strength at the Congress, at the Senate, at the White House? at the State Department, on the media, on CNN, on BBC. No? Why? Organizational work. Teamwork. Not personal work. Today, our organizations must be able to form themselves under this criteria. Number one, to be able to say yes, yes to new ideas, yes to new members, and no to old ideas and old members. Or else what's the job of the leadership? If he can't say yes to new ideas, to new members, if he can't say no to old ideas, old members, why are you there? What do I mean? I mean, so whoever is old, we kick him away, and whoever is... No, no, this is not what I mean. It's not what I mean. I mean, the entire world, brothers and sisters, is rapidly changing. Every day there is a new discovery. The entire world, your businesses... The way we conduct our affairs, the way we communicate. Ten years ago, if someone told you, listen, you would hold a device in the palm of your hand and you would be able to see your mother sitting across the world. Would you believe it? Would you believe it? No. Today, you get, a, you get an iPhone, you call someone of your relatives thousands and thousands of miles away and you watch them as if they're sitting in front of you. The world is rapidly changing. If some, someone or something or an idea is holding us back, 
We must be able to move forward. Say, new to no, say yes to new ideas. Say no to the old ones. Whatever is becoming a roadblock, whatever is standing in our way. Number two, every organization must know the outside of those walls is as important as the inside. Those who are not present here are as important as those who are present. If not more important. Rasulullah used to market himself. He didn't say, I have my own religion. We have a place. Whoever wants to become Muslim, ahlaw sana. Come. Rasulullah would go and sit in Masjid al-Haram in the busiest times and he would read the Quran loudly. Why? Because he wanted to market the faith. He wanted to attract new people. Bring in new faces. He realized that the people within the realm of Islam are important and those outside yet to come are as important if not more important. Today this has to be our job. Just like you market your home, you market your car, you market whatever you have to sell, you market it nicely. You also have to be able to market your organizations, market your ideas, bringing it, bring in new faces. The third step is that we have a for you mentality, from you mentality, a from you mentality. We need to change that to a for you mentality. Many organizations, we want time from you. We want money from you. We want volunteers from you. Take. Take. There is nothing for you, for the community. Some of us were used to this. They say one day Maulana, he was drowning. So someone came and told him, give me your hand. He was not used to giving his hand, so he was hesitant. The man saw this guy is going to drown, he's gone. So he said, take my hand. He took his hand right away. Some of our organizations were not good at giving, we're only good at taking. We have to change that. What is it that we're providing for those people before they go to school? While they go to school, their youth counseling, their marriage counseling. What is it that we have provided and facilitated for them and the policy making? All those things are from the community to the people. And let me say this today, if you want to pay your Islamic charity, your Islamic financial responsibility. Don't pay it to those who take and not give back. Pay it to organizations who have the for you mentality. Who will be there for your children. Who will be there when you are in need of counseling. Who will be there when you need someone to come and speak at a university or a college who will be there to make you proud on special occasions. But sometimes 
We either have organizations on this end or this end. Some organizations from you. Take, 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 take. Some of our organizations only for you. Only they give. Two or three people, mashallah. They have the heart. Allah has blessed them. They give. Brothers, sisters, a successful organization is an organization that has give and take. Not give, 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 give. And not take, take, take. It's a give and take process. With give and take, we built organizations. Let us teach our children from today, from this evening, don't walk out until you teach your children to give. Because if you don't teach this child at 5, 10, that when he comes to the masjid, he should contribute. When he becomes 20 and 25, he would not contribute a single penny. He would not be able to have the generosity that he needs. That's how communities thrive. They don't strive on persons, they strive on the whole community. They thrive on every single member and the presence of every single member. Last but not least, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says we must purify and create comfort within the organizations. How do we purify them? We purify them brothers in a manner where when people come they seek comfort and tranquility and peace. Number one, a person that walks in and out of any Islamic organization must experience physical comfort and purification. Physical comfort and purification. What do I mean? When a person comes, if physically, the way they appear, the way they speak, the way they dress, it's not really the way that a person should dress at a masjid or a Husayniyah or a majlis. It's not appropriate. We should give them comfort, ease, so that we can slowly have them adjust. This is called physical comfort. Another type of physical comfort, when people walk in, they should feel a sense of harmony, peace, tranquility at the house of Allah. Not when you go, you're agitated. You don't feel good. You feel like, I don't want to be here, but it's a masjid, I have to go, it's a majlis. Second, they have to go through mental purification and have mental comfort. Mentally, we have to uplift them, we have to teach them. And this was the policy of Imam Ali. Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib never stopped anyone from asking. In Masjid al-Kufa, during his Friday khutbah, people would interrupt him. This is how a masjid should be. A place where people can ask questions. A place where people can voice their opinion. A place where people, if they speak, they're not judged. So that they can mentally grow. This was the policy of Imam Ali. He never stood against anyone who had a question, even if he attacked him through a statement. And third, the masjid should be a place for spiritual growth. For people to come and spiritually feel that they have received their nourishment. 
through dua, through salat, through tadarru', khushu', a place where people seek forgiveness. They feel that if I want to seek, for forgi- seek forgiveness, I can go to this place. If I want to become closer to Allah, I can go to this place. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.